You're listening to the Drumming News Network. The Drumming News Network is a daily news site focusing on the interests of drummers with new product release information, artist updates, and much more. In essence, all things drums, keeping even the busiest of people up to date. Drummingnewsnetwork.com. All right. So, Vinny, thank you so much for taking the time. We're talking in support today of your um, your new band, Screamtaker. Uh, obviously, I have a whole bunch of additional questions to do with drums and drumming and your history. So, um, just wondering if you talk to us a little bit about that new CD. There's the CD. <laughs> I finally got a copy. <laughs> How long did that take? You know, you make record a record, and then uh, you don't have any copies of it. They did the remaster on Dio, Holy Diver. I didn't have that. And now I'm doing all these interviews. How do you think it sounds? I said, I have no idea. That's <laughs> like buy it on Amazon, you know. So, you talk, well, you're talking about reissues. Just out of interest, a while ago, um, they reissued Strange Highways, that live DVD of your performance back with Dio in 93, I think it was. Oh, really? You, you ever seen the Blu-ray of, of that? Of uh, the whole album? What was actually a live concert over you did in London? Uh, was I on it? Yeah. Huh. Was it you, Tracy, Jeff Pilson. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where they find this stuff, but most of the band doesn't know. I'll send you a link. <laughs> Hope it sounds good. Oh, it sounds phenomenal. I love that record. And I think you oh, know, really? as, as a player, um, it kind of seemed like a big change in your your playing at that time when you played in that band straight that in world war three the strange highways yeah i played more open on that album mm -hmm. uh we got a big big uh giant drum sound on it with mike frazier i think produced it okay and um when it's that big you know oh, you can't play a lot of fast stuff it gets a bit cluttery so um so i approached it a little bit different than the next album which was angry machines I never realized that I listened to some tracks a couple of weeks ago. It's like a progressive album. It's like, holy shit. Like, wow, times changes and stuff. Uh, it was very interesting, really tight as well. But it didn't sound like Dio, you know, it was too, for me, it was just not the Dio sound. It was more of a Dio progressive sound. So, right, yeah. It was still a ph phenomenal record. Yeah. In the last in live, a great era. Um, but they're also re-releasing um, Heaven and Hell and and what was it again? Uh, Mob Rules. Yeah, Mob Rules. And that's coming out next month. Yeah. So you got a lot of releases coming out, man. <laughs> I don't have that one either. <laughs> yeah, you buy it in the store. It's amazing that this stuff has lasted all these years. Yeah. That's what amazes me. It's like right now, this year and uh, what's happening, it's like the Dio Sabbath thing's peaking. Mm -hmm. you know we had the movie just come out people are emailing me about the movie i just came off doing a couple of shows with last in line and everybody's going to see the movie or they saw the movie and records are selling and uh rainbow in the dark was used in thor 4 at the end of the movie okay in the credits they used rainbow in the dark and then uh and the things on uh netflix kids wearing a geo jacket back to <laughs> denim jacket it's got the dio thing on it so it's like wow 
right. Who would have thought 40 something years later, this stuff is still happening. It's great. It's and phenomenal. Thanks to some really loyal fans and uh, great people and fans and amazing. We mentioned last in line uh, on the 11th of November, you're coming out with a day in the life EP. Where can people get that? Uh, they can get it on our website or my site, Vinny Apathy, uh Facebook, Vinny Apathy official Facebook. There's a, a, a link there where you can pre-order the EP. The EP contains uh, uh, the song we did. We recovered a Beatles song, A Day in the Life. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just wanted to do something different, you know. And so we did that. And there's two live tracks on the EP, and then there's a new song that's okay. going to be on the album as well. A new song's called Hurricane Allah. And uh, it's really, really cool. And the live tracks are great. I think they're from Europe. So it's a nice uh, EP. It's got nice artwork on it and the whole bit. And uh, I think different color vinyls too. Mm-hmm. The vinyl. So that's coming out November 11th. Do you think it makes more sense in this day and age for artists to record? an EP or one song at a time versus a whole record, in your opinion? That depends if the whole record good. <laughs> <laughs> like, believe it or not, this record, we didn't plan, make much plan. This just happened. And if you listen to the whole thing, it's, it's some really good songs on there. And uh, so if the songs are good throughout the whole record, then you know people like to have all all the songs in one go, you know? Um, so I'm old school. So I would say that I would go with the full CD thing, you know, mm-hmm. how did these used, used to be meant for just, we're not ready for the album yet. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we had an EP Dio intermission and, uh, you know, that came out and it's kind of the kill the time in between albums almost, you know? So. Right. Tell me how the Project Scream Taker came together. Well, so anyway, so Jim Crean, uh, <clears throat> he sang with us uh, on some of the live shows, Common and I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, what that's all about is we call it Drum Wars. And uh, we have two drum sets on stage and we have a band and we play all the music from our history mm-hmm. and some drum bits in between, you know, some little battles and stuff. But it's more of a rock show. It's not a drum clinic. It's not a drum show. That's so much uh, to say. And one show we met Jim Queen. We really liked him. And he looked weird. He looked <laughs> scary. And uh, he sang great. So then he uh, started singing with us on all the shows. So we used him all the time. Then I played on his, he did a solo record. I think he did two solo records. And I played on uh, a lot of both of them. Okay. So did Karma. So, you know, so we're always in touch. And then Jim said uh, he's working with this uh, musician, Stefan Hound from France. He's a guitar player, really talented guy, plays keyboards. And they were working on some tunes, and then he started playing them for me. So we all put our heads together. And uh, it was just like, let's do a couple of songs, you know. So we did, and it came out really, really good. And uh, so we kept doing it until we had... You know, 12 songs. I don't know what's on there, 11 or 12 songs. And uh, and then his friend owns Deco Records. Deco Records. Is that it? Deco? What the? Deco. 
and <laughs> and uh, he wanted us release it. So mm -hmm. we we came to uh, an agreement, and uh, we got uh, some artists to do the artwork. I, I I came up with the idea, maybe like the '50s kind of screaming horror movies and stuff like that. And then uh, the name just came. It, it, they wanted to call it Vinnie Apathy Screaming. I don't like to be called anything. I'm a team player. I like to be in the band. Okay. It's more mysterious. I don't like Vinnie Apathy Scream. Like, uh, I'd rather not do that. <clears throat> so we did Scream and somehow Taker got in there. And I said, well, that sounds good. And uh, so this came together very naturally and very organic. We just built it up. And now, um, you know, we're doing press. We hope to maybe do some dates next year. Okay. You know, because the album is getting some good reviews and people liking it. And uh, I recorded the drums here. Which oh, really? Is great. They're really raw. You know, I get a good, good drum sound here. I know what I want to hear. Um, and I'm able to really get into the songs because I'm running the software from a wireless keyboard back there. Okay. So I listen to stuff like that. You know, I mean, like last night I was recording a song for this for this friend, uh, and I spent must must have spent thirty five minutes on just a two bar intro with the drums. Boom, papa, boom, boom. One bar intro. And I go, that doesn't work. And I try all stupid things, and let me try this, and try, and then finally something will hit. Mm -hmm. But it's great. I have that control in the studio. Right. Somebody would be behind the glass and I'd be going, let me do it again. Let me do it again. Let me do it again. And sometimes the mistakes work. Right. Play something. Ah, oh, shit. Messed it up. And then I listen. I go, you know what? That's really cool. It's uh, something I wouldn't do because it was a mistake. <laughs> there's a bunch of mistakes. There's, on every album I've done, there's been a mistake. So what's the most uh, universal mistake that people think you did purposely? <laughs> um you know what i'd have to review it <laughs> okay, but on this yeah. on the last in line uh the album coming out i there's a break the band stops and i was going to play all the way through it when they stopped and instead they stopped and i started on the end mm. and i didn't want to do that but I thought I could fix it, but we never got to fixing it. And then I thought, well, this is kind of weird, kind of more, more uh, of a unique thing, you know. But uh, there's, there's stuff throughout the, all these albums. That, uh, <clears throat> and that's why you got to be open to ideas, you know. Right. Can you tell me a little bit about your recording setup? What are you using at home so you can actually do these? Because your drums sound amazing on the records. I had no idea you were actually doing that. Fuck yeah. What I was <laughs> doing, I was using these... Uh, what are these guys? These are sure. I don't know. Let me put the light on for sure. Um, PGA 56. Okay. See, these are on the thumbs. This, this little guy. Sometimes I'm not crazy about putting them on the rims because you got to figure when you hit that drum, there's vibrations as well. Mm -hmm. so but it's working but the last tom on here is uh 16 and let's see if i can put any light on these drums so i got that going on 
right? Mm -hmm. Weird, because this is backwards. You can't really see. It's actually okay on my end, though. Yeah, as you see, there's uh, overheads. Those are uh, Samson. Two condenser mics is one on this side. And then um, I'm just running. Uh, where can I get that? Back there, there's two focus right units. Okay. That's it. 16 inputs. And then on the bass drum, I got one of these low uh, sub bass mics. Mm -hmm. And I got the head on, and then inside the bass drum, if you could see that, there's a 91 flat mic. Okay. That's what that set up. And these are Sawtooth Drums, which is my friend's uh, company. He has a big online business selling all sorts of musical instruments and stuff. Okay. And I got drums everywhere. There's drums up there. There's <laughs> drums over there. That's only some of them. The, the rest of them are in the garage. I just start getting rid of some of this stuff. Crazy. So that's that's what I use. And then I got two uh, AKG room mics back here. Those are uh, condenser mics as well. Okay. And uh, I just know what I want to hear. I I want the drums to just be bam. You know, uh, a lot of times I go in the studio and they mic the drums with, you know, four mics on the bass drum and all these mics and it's like it still sounds tame to me you know and this this is i'm just getting a really good sound in here and then the, the guy who makes the album marty Dillon, really has a knack for uh drums and uh he left them pretty raw you know i told him i he was gating them a little i said no no, no let let them ring a little bit you know that's fine years ago they didn't really use gates you know on the old uh, zap albums and all mm -hmm. that shit so so uh, that's the trick to recording. It's knowing what you want it to sound like first. Okay. And then getting the sound, you know, because a lot of guys don't know what they want to sound like. And then they record it and it's whatever the engineer thinks it should sound like. So when you're, when you record your own drums, a lot of times communicating that to the producer is really difficult. How do you, how do you communicate that to the producer in a way that they will actually honor what you want as a drummer? Well, see, like this is, I would say, our band and my band. So this is what I want, mm -hmm. you know. And Artie, Artie, the guy who produced it, he plays guitar in the band with Carmine and I. Mm -hmm. So he's played with me. He knows how loud it is and he knows my attitude and just trying to kick the shit out of everything. And <laughs> so he knows that. So he, he gets it, you know, he gets it right away. But uh, I just tweak it a little bit. So, you know what? Um, crank the bass drum up a little bit more and do this and do that and do that. So with other things, if it's a session kind of thing, mm -hmm. I can't really call all the shots for the drums because they have something in mind. So I'm open to that. That's okay. But, okay. Uh, this, and the other thing a lot of guys mix is they don't put the bass drum up bass drums too low um listen to this album the bass drums in there kicking mm -hmm. the bass you know? same thing with last in line uh records and uh that's important that's because a lot of guys are into the snare drum thing you know mm -hmm. i'm here to tune four or whatever it's doing i mean imagine led zeppelin without the bass drum up in the mix you know? right immigrant song 
with no bass drum. Right. So bass drum is a big part of the, 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 you know, music. So a lot of guys run into that. Speaking of that, your Kill Devil Hill work um, song, your drum song for that record, well, those records sounded really good. Yeah, yeah. That was, first record was Warren Riker, Mm -hmm. uh, who worked with Rex, Rex, uh, Brown from Pantera. He was the bass player in the band. Mm-hmm. He recommended Warren. So Warren got a great, fantastic sound on the drums and, and the album overall is really heavy and he's got a good sound on it. Second album was, uh, I don't even remember. <laughs> the <second laughs> album. Uh, that, one, that one sounds good too. I, I don't know if we did it ourselves. I, I can't, I don't know. But you know, like with that band, Rex, Brown's got a sound. He's got a pretty badass bass sound and uh, growling and low bottom end. And he knows what he wants to sound like too. And I know what I want to sound like. So uh, um, it's easier for the producer to take that and get a good mix on, you know? Well, I noticed a big significant sound or a change in your sound during the World War III record. To me, that's a monumental record. I think it's amazing. You and Jimmy Bain are probably one of the best rhythm sections in the history of rock and roll. <laughs> Thanks. And as I understood it, you recorded your drums in another room upstairs, but the drum, the record, the mics were actually kind of open and you only used a few mics. Is that, is that correct? God, I, I, shit, I don't know. I, I can't even <laughs> with that. <laughs> sure. It sounds right. It sounds right. Uh, that was Mike Slamma who produced that. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a fluke because Jimmy called me and said, hey, I'm in this band, man. You'd fit perfect in this band. Oh, really? So he sent me some tracks. And I went, wow, this is really good. This is cool. And I had to learn them really quick. And then we went into some studio. And uh, that sounds like something we did. So I, I don't can't remember that. Yeah, I should be taking pictures you know for all this stuff. <laughs> yeah <laughs> recording but a that's lot of a it. good that's a great great album mike slammer did a great job yeah and the drums are up front you know well i love your intro like the humanizer oh yeah no kidding the drums are fucking boom right up front that was mac who did that we got fantastic sound so. well also like um your song drive me crazy your use of triplets oh yeah, yeah. I, dude i you are the king of triplets. Can you talk to me a little bit why you love triplets so much? Um, you know, it's just certain riffs. You know, I, I like to develop. I'm only one bass drum. I don't play two bass drums. So that's triplets are easier to get them faster. You know, and uh, I don't I just feel what I do is to come up with something and then I'll go, that's cool. And I'll keep practicing it and practicing it until it becomes part of me. And I know I can throw it in anywhere. So, you know, there's also similar things with 16th note, you know, that shit. Uh, and now I got a different one where I'm just playing it more in the toms. I saw Bonham do it. I'm like, that's, that's a cool riff. And do it fast, it sounds really cool. So I try to get these these licks down so they're part of me. So I, you know, so kind of in a tool belt of different licks, you can 
throw in, you know, ne never be without some sort of uh, fill or, or whatever, you know. So, but I feel all this stuff. I don't just throw stuff in these songs. Uh, I uh, get in when I record a song. This goes way back from Sabbath, the Dio, and all the bands. Get into the song, like almost like painting it, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't play on top of the song. I like to play inside the song. Right. You know, make it like a real part rather than keeping time and beats and stuff like that. So that's just the way I hear it. I smoked a lot of pot during <laughs> not not anymore, but back in the <laughs> early days. Holy Diver was all fucking pot. Yeah. Holy smoke. <laughs> and Ronnie Me and Jimmy Bain. Vivian didn't I think he got a contact eye. He was always in the room. Well, I got to say, the first time I met Ronnie, it was in the back of the tour bus. And um, mm -hmm. I was with Tracy in the back. And he wrote, he uh, lit up this gigantic fatty. <laughs> so, yeah. He was just like, oh, it was funny. Yeah. It didn't seem to phase him, but yeah. really relaxed. We for... smoked a lot of pot. Then eventually I, I started studying computers and shit in yeah. the early 2000s. But I couldn't remember what I read. I was reading it and... Then I'm sitting there going, what the hell did I just read? Like, you know, my memory was like, so I had to go back and reread it, pay attention. So then I thought, you know, I had to stop smoking. So I haven't smoked in 20 something years. You know? Awesome. I think I'm naturally high and in my world's in color and I see things differently from all that pot smoking. I didn't do any other major drugs, you know. Okay. I didn't drink. I don't drink a little bit of beer here and there and that's it. Oh wow! Okay. Now, now I'm naturally uh, buzzed. <laughs> well, no, but it's like talking quickly about your your triplets. Uh, at one time, you released a lesson about the use of triplets that you could download for a while. Do you think you'll do you think you'll post that again? Uh, I don't even know where that is. Okay. Well, <laughs> I have know, a copy. I <clears throat> you may email it to me. Okay. Um, I do every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time on Finneapolis official Facebook. I do this show and people write in questions too. And my girlfriend, uh, we call her Lala Lollipop. <clears throat> That's how she's known on the show. And she reads me the questions because the screen is too far away. And some people go, well, how do you do that? What's a good foot exercise? What, how can I get those triplets down, you know? And uh, I got a, a fortunately very strong foot. It's because mm -hmm. uh, I never played double bass, you know. So, so I, you know, first thing I ever practiced was the uh, triplet on the foot, like John Bonham, Good Times, Bad Times. My brother actually was using that even before Bonham, you know, in some of the records he did because he started earlier. And that's a great foot exercise. Depth, you know, boom, boom, back. Do, 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 you know that one and uh, and then that that boom boom that that boom and i just practiced the shit out of those yeah well isn't carmine a pretty big influence on bottom at the time yeah 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 because carmine was kind of out first and then uh bottom listened to him and all that stuff and then carmine actually got john bottom a deal with ludwig drums okay once they started getting a buzz uh, Carmine got John the maple kit that he used. Okay. And at one point, Bonham was using double bass, and they were opening for the Vanilla Fudge back in the late '60s. So 
Zeppelin would go on first and Bonham with a double maple kit. Then they take his kit down and Palmine had the same kit right behind oh. him. The same drums. So <laughs> it's pretty funny. Do you know why, but do you know why Bonham didn't continue using double bass? Yeah, Jimmy Page and uh, Robert Plant said it was too busy. Oh, okay. They, they didn't like it. They'd like did, them to play one bass drum. Did you ever see him play double bass? No. Okay. I don't think there's any footage of him playing double bass. No, I've only seen that the maple kit, the double bass maple kit, and that's all I've seen. So. Yeah. So at one point he's playing double bass. So like, oh, interesting. So. Well, no, but I just love your creative use of, use of triplets, and I think it's kind of an underrated uh, lick. But you know, you do a triplet rough, you do even triplets, and then you. Yeah, I love roughs. And you do a galloping triplets. Yeah. Then there's also on the, the Holy Diver album, beginning uh, straight through the heart. Is that intro to straight through the heart? They're all triplets, but they might not sound like triplets because they're replacement triplets. Boom. Okay. It's in all in times. They go in, you know, just like doing that, but replacing them. And then we did an effect where I went from high tom all the way down to low tom then doubled it going low tom up to the high tom and then we put them together and panned them this way oh so wow it's like whoa okay. so it sounds like an effect because mm -hmm. i just did the fill it would just sound like the fill this made us special you know so uh yeah so triplets like that there's so many different ways you can do these things you know well backing up a little bit why do you not play double bass well, because Carmine went over to double bass. He started on a single bass. And then at one point, I got another bass drum, and I played it. And I guess I didn't like it at that point. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, Carmine's doing all this stuff. He's been using it for years now. I'm just going to stick with one bass drum, you know. And then uh, seeing how some of these drummers with double bass are amazing, I just thought, I'm going to stay with one bass drum, you know, not to the double bass drum thing and that kept my foot strong okay you know, that one, one foot actually my right leg my calf is bigger than the left leg <laughs> really you put on tight pants the right leg is getting them back off it's harder to get off than the left leg because the muscle <laughs> builds up so much that's, that's awesome amazing. so about 2014 you started using sawtooth drums uh, can you tell me a little bit about why you switched to Sawtooth and tell me about your current setup? Yeah, it's, uh, I was using the uh, D drum before that mm -hmm. and they got me a clinic at this place in Thousand Oaks, California. And it was called GoDPSmusic.com. And they told, they told me, well, the, he kind of does a live feed and an in-person clinic with an audience. You really? Uh, back, excuse me, back then, uh, God, what year was that? might have been 2010. You know, there weren't many live feeds going on. This whole mm -hmm. thing didn't really take off yet. So, but I'm always up for a challenge. I could, okay, whatever. So I went there and I met uh, Joe Fuco, who owns the place, and uh, all the crew and Kevin and his wife. Every, everything was really, really cool, but I didn't know what they were doing. So basically... 
was doing a clinic with some cameras on me that were feeding over to Facebook. Went, okay, that's cool. So I met them. And then we got along so good. We went up again and had a meeting. And Joe Fuca is a really, really good drummer, great drummer. And uh, so his he had guitars and they make uh, basses, they make amps. He's got it covered. Back then, he was just starting. He didn't have drums. So he said, I want to do a drum line, too. And uh, if you want to come over, we'll, we'll take good care of you. You know, he'd help design the stuff and promote it. So I thought, what a great opportunity. So I, I went over to Sawtooth, and we Joe and I worked together. And uh, the first kit I used was called the Command Series, which is up there and up on the ceiling there. And uh, not on the ceiling, but it's up on the top shelf. And these, those were poplar wood. At, before the pandemic, you can get the whole kit with three tom-toms, snare drum, 24-inch bass drum. It was like 500 bucks. Wow. 499 Yeah, it was really good. And they're not, yeah, they're made good. They're, they're not made uh, as good as these. Mm-hmm. But I used those for like three years, four years. It kicked ass. I recorded with them. They sounded great. I played live with Last in Line with them. And uh, so I was happy with that. And then we designed some uh, drum cases that has an extra zipper. If you want to put more heads in there for spare heads, zips close. And, and we designed that and stick bag. Stick bag didn't come out. Still working on it. But uh, so I was very involved with them. And then when I started using the drums I'd make suggestions like, you know, this is not holding good or this needs improvement. So it was a really nice opportunity to be able to do that. And then uh, about a year and a half ago, we came out with this. These are, these are uh, not, these are the hickory drums. It's a beautiful drum. Okay. Can you see them? I can't. Yeah. Yeah. They're beautiful. They look beautiful. like a flat this black. No, they're not flat black. Uh, Jack black. <laughs> I don't have a flashlight. Let me put this light on and see if you can see it better. It, they look flat black, but they're actually purple in there. There's brown in there. And there's all that stuff in there. Is that what they refer to as the satin dark chocolate? Yes. Okay. I got diabetes, so I don't say dark chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> I go that it's like the finish is like dark chocolate. Hershey syrup, chocolate cake. I shouldn't say that. And then they make uh, the drums up there, a an, uh, seven and a half inch snare drum. It's a beast. Okay. Sounds great. So this is, uh, they came out with this and then I got a couple of the drums and uh, because of the shipping thing going on back then, I, we couldn't get the rest of the kit. So finally, I think at the beginning of uh, the year, I got the rest of the kit. So I got 10 inch, 12 inch, 13, 14, 14 rack, 16 and 18 okay. on the uh, floors and a 24 by 14 bass drum. And these sound fantastic. I mean, they're so warm and big sound, like, like a lot of sustain on them and uh, they're beautiful drums. And then the hardware, this is, this stuff here is, uh, Chromacast, that's the same company, kind of. These okay. are sawtooth. Chromacast makes stuff. It's all owned by Joe. And one lever, 
that you can go up and down or twist back and forth, hmm. which is cool because live, if anything moves, you go, you know, I got to raise that and twist it. One shot. Boom. Oh, and fantastic. They hold up. And I use the uh, Chromacast foot pedal, uh, which is one over there. So um, that's how I got to know these guys. And, and, you know, we became really, really good friends. And uh, he takes good care of me and uh, I promote the, promote the drums by using them and uh that he's sponsoring the facebook live it's called behind the kit every tuesday 4 p.m and uh getting a great response with it you know so these just gorgeous these drums beautiful well the promo video you did for the hickory set that first hickory set you had that is on promo right now it sounds amazing just sounds beautiful which one the silver drums no it's a natural wood Oh, okay. Okay. That's the other one. Yeah. This comes in a uh, natural, uh, like maple color too. Okay. With the I'm... shine. These are flat. Okay. These look, these look meaner. <laughs> I totally look like uh, you. If they look, if they look meaner, that's, that's me. <laughs> the other ones are gorgeous, but I wasn't crazy about it for me. Yeah. Well, there are six ply shell with a double 45. Tell, tell me about the shell construction now. Is it uh hickory or whatever material is? the whole way through or is there a mix it's hickory yeah all the way through six plies of pure hickory no filler no preservatives (laughs) uh no gmo it's six plies right and each drum has 45 degree angles on the bearing edge which at first i thought well what does that mean you know Mm -hmm. then it was explained most drums have an edge and then there's goes like that you know like that and there's a bearing edge these these drums are like a triangle on the top so the head sits on there and uh, allows it to sit really really straight and gives it a lot of tone so um, and these lugs are all solid steel and die cast hoops Okay. You take the hoop off, it weighs a ton. It's like really, really well made, you know. So uh, it's got a great sound because of the double, you know, bearing edge, top and bottom. Do you know if that double 45 peak is in the center, closer to the outside or the inside? I think it's right in the middle. Okay. All right. I think I could be wrong. (laughs) I would think I would think it would be right in the middle. Are the shells made to his spec uh, somewhere else, or are they made in-house? No, they're they're made in China, of course. Okay. Uh, You know, like everything else. (laughs) I'll show you you something. So you're never shown before. We'll get a tour of the house, man. It's cool. That's John Bonham's drumstick. Well, I can't see it. Uh, hang on. No, that's not. What the fuck? Where's the camera in the thing? There it is. Oh, the drumstick. That's his drumstick. That's your reflection in the glass. Yeah. This is his drumsticks, and it's used. Where did you get that? He played like this. He played like this. He played with the tip. I don't play with the tip. I play the other way. Right, but the, the he right here it says John Bonham in script. That's all it says. Where did but, you get uh, that? 
I got that a long time ago. Um, uh, in Europe, I think in Spain, this girl I met said, "Hey, you wanted, you want this?" I said, "What is it?" I'm Bonham drumstick. This was in the '80s, so Bonham was still alive. Okay. So I said, "Yeah." So I took it and I kept it in my draw. Actually, it was in the sock drawer for years. <laughs> it was just sitting in my drawer. And then I, when I bought this house, you know, I got a divorce and all that stuff. And so this house, I thought, you know what? I'm going to get it mounted. You know, that's kind of, that's so special, I think. So. Completely. So there it is. That stick, I verified it with Jason, his son. So we've done, you know, we run into each other here and there. I said, listen, I got the drumstick. I took a picture of it, too. And I said, it's just got John Bonham written in script. There's no name in it. Is that his stick or is this something else? He goes, no, that's it. I showed him the picture. So he kind of verified that that's really his dad's stick. That's really cool. Pretty, pretty cool. And then I got, e <clears throat> excuse me, Ian Pace. Uh, we did a rock camp together. I do a lot of these rock fantasy camps. Mm -hmm. And Ian was a guest. So I watched him play. I was great standing there watching him. And then uh, I said, can I have your sticks? He goes, yeah. Gave me the sticks. I think he signed them. I got to look. Um, and that's it. The only other sticks I'd like to have is Buddy Rich. Okay. That's it. I'm not a collector that much of uh, Yeah. But yeah. you're not using uh, Vic Firth anymore. So who are you using? I'm using uh, the Chromacast. What is this? Chromacast makes the sticks. Okay. It's a 5B, 5B stick. Uh, and I'm using it uh, from Sawtooth Chromacast. Chromacast makes them. Get okay. confused with the company. <laughs> and uh, they're standard 5B, five, five and I play with the butt end. So that works for me. Vic Firth were great. They made such amazing sticks, you know. But uh, <clears throat> he, he offered me sticks, too. I said, let's keep it in-house, keep it in the family, you know. And they make some great sticks too. So that's fantastic. Overall, check their website. They make guitars. They make uh, cajones. Actually, Joe gave me a cajon. I'm not one to play percussion so much. The cajon is sitting back there. That how, and on top of it's my wireless keyboard. <laughs> I never play it. I said it's a piece of, it's a table now. <clears throat> you know. I'm like, sure he appreciates that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because he plays it. He plays it good too. When he, yeah. Yeah. You got to use they your triplets on that. Yeah. <laughs> so your standard setup is, we're looking at your, pretty much your standard setup, but you know, I got to say during the Heaven and Hell Tour, you had the most amazing drum set up, that silver kit in particular. Oh, yeah. Dude, that was ridiculous. will we ever see a set like that again <clears throat> from you? Or no. it's just not practical? No, what it was is, uh, this all started when I joined Sabbath in the beginning in 1980. Mm -hmm. You know, I got a call hey, you want to come meet Tony Iommi at the hotel? They're looking for a drummer. We heard about you. And I was really, the only band I played with was Rick Derringer. So, you know, that was not really big. But uh, I said, sure, I'll come down. I met Tony, went down to the hotel. We hit it off. And I had an album, had Derringer albums and a band called Axis, which was a three-piece band. And Andy Johns produced it. So the drums sounded good. Tony heard that album. He really liked it. 
he had the album with him. I said, yeah, this is good. This is good. And uh, so Tony invited me to come down to play with the band. So I went down the next day. I met Ronnie for the first time. He's a butler and Jeff Nichols is a keyboard player. And of course, Tony. And uh, go, what do you want to play? I wasn't a big Sabbath fan. I was like, um, I heard Neon Nights on the radio two weeks before. And I said to myself, this, the new singer is amazing. Who is that? Ronnie James Dio. Wow. You know, I knew he was in Rainbow with Man on Silver Mountain and all that stuff. But I wasn't a fan of everybody, you know, which was probably better because I went in as a, you know, a musician. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I had one bass drum, Ludwig bass drum, no head on the front, maple kit, 14 inch, and four toms with no bottom heads. So the kit was so small and three cymbals, which I still have three cymbals. So when they brought the drums into the rehearsal, there's my little kit and there's four stacks of Tony's amps, <laughs> four stacks of Ampeg Geezer's amps. Uh, I'm like, oh shit. So t after we played, they liked me and uh, Tony said, can you make the kit bigger? Can you play double bass? Make it bigger. I said, I don't really play double bass, you know, but I immediately called Ludwig drums and uh, let me plug this back in. I said to uh, Bill Ludwig III, I said, Bill, I'm joining Black Sabbath. I need drums. I need more drums. So we, he sent me over some uh, more, another tom. I had three in the front, then another floor, another floor here, and then two aerial drums up here. Boom, 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 boom. And that made it bigger. Then each tour, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, with Dio, I brought it into Dio. And then finally on the Heaven and Hell project, I got a kit from DW, says with DW, and it had four aerial toms, three toms, two floors. It was it was pretty big. Mm -hmm. But then the last tour, I went fucking crazy and did. There were like uh, how many was it? It was two big drums behind me, a bass drum behind me. There was twenty one pieces of total of of the kit, and I had them up here and had them up here, and then I used to rock them. I could pull them this way. There were two drums, hit it, and then throw it, and it would rock back and forth. Mm -hmm. It was the greatest effect for 10 bucks. I used to get a bungee cord, thick <laughs> truck, bungee cord at a truck stop. Yeah. Put it at the bottom, put them in eyeballs. We put them in eyeballs. And I was able to <clears throat> pull this thing down from all the way up here. There were two toms, and I hit them, boom, boom. You could hit the pop, 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 boom, 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 and throw it. And the drums would go like this. They wouldn't hit me in the head. We adjusted it. And everybody thought the drums were going to fall down. And even chicks noticed in the audience. <laughs> wow, I, I was going to run up and catch your drum. I said, no, nah. <clears throat> nah, it's not falling. <laughs> so that kit was ridiculous. But I wound up playing up here. I wound up hitting it back here. All the ways you're not supposed to hit with your shoulder. And then at the end of the tour, I couldn't lift my right arm. I had to go get shoulder surgery. Mm -hmm. This one still hurts a little bit, but this yeah. one was dead in the water. And I was, wow, scary, you know. So I did that, did all the rehab, and I made a comeback. Now it's strong as ever. So uh, I won't use something like that again. And then 
the kit wound up in my garage and then I got a call from a broker. They wanted to buy the kit. So it got sold to a German rock museum in Germany. Oh, and that's where it's at. That's great. Cause what am I going to do with a 21 piece kit? You know, we're not playing arenas and, and people are already seeing it. So we packed it all up. I actually it was so big. I had a different tech help me and uh, Actually, my girlfriend helped me too. And we're looking at this big poster going, how does how do we set this up? Which drum is that? And there's so many pieces. We couldn't even, it took us two days to figure out how to set it up. And my tech on the tour, Andre, would do it in an hour, you know. Because mm-hmm. we had to set it up and then I numbered it. This goes here, number one, two, three, four, five, until we got to 21. And then it shipped in cases and it shipped off to Germany. So I'm going to find out where it is. And, and uh, next time I go to Germany, I'd love to see it. You know, oh, so it was mm-hmm. one of the biggest kits out there, you know, besides Terry Bazio and Hurt. Yeah. Right. It's an amazing set. And I also loved how you constructed your um, overhead Tom frames, the frames for the drums on the sides. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that were, was. Uh... Yeah. DW made them for me. And then when we had everything, we set it up at DW's factory, the warehouse in California, all different configurations, what looked best, you know. And then we came up with the one I used. And uh, it was an amazing kit. Sounded great. Beautiful paint job. You know, it was uh, looked like chrome finish, mm-hmm. but it was paint. Oh, know? okay. And it's one of the few kits that I make DW drill right into the shell. For the mounts like, well we don't like to do that right i said I, I can't stand those hoops those hoop things you hit them they move it adds more space to when you try to get the toms closer they bang into each other so i said, i i gotta have the mounts right on the drum like these mm-hmm. yeah, that's those mounts are right on the drum yeah you know? way stronger and you know let's make that big of a difference for the music we played Mm -hmm. right at one point did you use slingerland as well yeah i went from my history was ludwig then slingerland and then i followed my brother to slingerland then i used tama he didn't Mm -hmm. then from tama i used them for a long long time then d drum then uh well, DW, was dw d drum then these guys oh dw yeah dw d drum and then these guys so when i saw your slingerland set you know you had over tom overhead toms there as well i didn't think they offered an overhead tom stand did you use ludwig mounts no they were different kinds of mounts that um uh, i don't know what i used yeah um i think i used stands and two poles at the end of it. Okay. Two different stands, yeah. Then Tama had, they were for orchestras. They had these wheels, wheels, and then two poles in the top, and you can put like a timpani, not a timpani, uh, some sort of a percussion mm-hmm. instrument up there or something. They had the right stands. So, so I used those for a while. Then DW made, made me some. Okay. They could do everything there. 
Now, with Tama, didn't you use Art Star primarily? Art Star 2s, I mean? No, I used uh, Superstar. Superstar, okay. Yeah, because I they were just beautiful, amazing sets there as well. But use the Stilt Toms, yeah. too. Did you like the Stilt? You know where you got stilt that? Stilt Stan? Yeah. <clears throat> I liked it. Yeah, it was something cool when you make them lean in and it looked good, you know, something different. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was good at the time. You've been with so many companies. In your mind, what makes a good drum company? Uh, well, first of all, the product, you know, it's got to be, for the music I play, it's got to be sturdy, it's got to be strong, and it's got to sound good. You know, some drums sound different than others, but uh, the heads have major impact on the sound, obviously, what kind of heads you use. And then uh, support, where, hey, I'm going on tour back in the day, you know, why don't you do an ad or two? Mm-hmm. Back then, drum, Modern Drummer or the drum magazines that back then were exist existed, and uh, and they supply you with what you need, you know, as an artist, and you're working all the time. You need that support. So, uh, so first comes the sound, you know, and the strength of the, the the whole kit and the stands and all that stuff. So, uh, and then people to communicate with while you're you know doing your thing. So, okay, that makes a good comment. That's why these guys' show is so amazing because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I call him up on the phone, hey, I need some more sticks. And I go over his house. He's two hours away, but we go over his house. He's always wanted to, to film new video and he's got a little studio there. We do different projects in there and he puts flips out and still working on stuff. So he's just proactive in, uh, promotion and uh keeping the website interesting mm-hmm. you know that's fantastic things i i do this stream every week <clears throat> michael badio does a guitar one on thursdays same time and uh that's really proactive you know he's right on top of it always has ideas very creative well as we're wrapping up here i'm going to fire off some questions so we'll do quick answers on these okay uh okay. when you were playing with lennon John Lennon. What was what's your favorite memory of working with John Lennon? Um. Well, I he yeah, we met him at the Record Plant Studios. We had a room there to rehearse, so we were there all the time. And uh, we were upstairs, and Jimmy Iovine, who you know the name, uh, called us. He was John's producer. Okay. Said, we need some hand clops. Can you guys come downstairs do hand clops? He didn't tell us what it was for. So there were nine of us. We had four horn players, keyboard, singer. We go down, we walk in, and we see John Lennon. We go, holy shit. <laughs> I was like 16 years old. So now you put the headphones on. Now he's talking to you. You know, you heard his voice so many times. You go, oh, my God. <laughs> he's talking to us. And we did hand clops on whatever gets you through the night. That's me and my band on that record. <clears throat> then we met him quickly. And we went back upstairs. We didn't bother him with, hey, can we take a picture? Hey, we didn't do that fanboy stuff. Well, went back upstairs. And a couple of days later, we're rehearsing. All of a sudden, he walks in our rehearsal room. Because he probably said, who? Who were those guys? came up listened to it. it's a good band you know it's kind of played funk rock and four horn players mm-hmm. so we were really tight and it was good and then uh 
he sat down. He used to come up all the time. There's a pool table there. We played pool. I smoked a couple of joints with him. And then uh, one time we did uh, talking about Italian food. And I told John, my mother makes this, the, my mother and grandmother makes the real Italian stuff. And go, oh, okay. So I said, I'll have her make you some. So a couple of days later, I bring in a tray of lasagna. And I see John. I go, John, this is for you. It's for my mother. And he was like, oh, oh, thank you. Oh, cool. <clears throat> he took it. And then about a month later, my brother Carmine's playing with Rod Stewart in Madison Square Garden, like six nights back then. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so there was a party in Manhattan. And uh, my parents went. Carmine invited my parents. And uh, at the party was John Lennon. And my mother sees John. She goes, oh, look, Charlie. That's my dad. Here's John Lennon. So Carmine brought him over, introduced him. <clears throat> Said, this is Finney's mom who who uh, you worked with. And, and this is my mom. <clears throat> so my mother was talking to John. And they're hanging out a little bit. At the end of the conversation, she goes, do you have my pan for the lasagna? <clears throat> so he didn't have it. So she was disappointed. Like she thought he might have brought it to this big party. <laughs> to give Vinny's mother's pan back. <clears throat> so that's a classic. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So uh, that's funny. But he was cool, man. And then... Uh, Later on with Black Sabbath, we needed to record a song while we were on tour. So 1980, mm-hmm. it was the Heaven and Hell tour. I substituted for Bill Ward. And they got John Lennon's house. This is after he died. Okay. To record in for two days, two nights. It was owned by Ringo now. So... This beautiful mansion in England with the gardens, the whole thing, the garden hedges were shaped in dinosaurs, like T-Rex, big T-Rex hedge. So that's what he did imagine. Mm-hmm. You can see the room go, holy shit. So when we check in, I got John's room. Of all the people that checked in, I got John's room. That's, that's awesome. Weird. But I thought, you know, he just died. I, I don't want to stay in there. It's kind of weird for me. I got mm-hmm. a different room. I should have stayed in there. So I punched out. So uh, in the closet, you open the closet, fucking platinum Beatle albums and swag and uh, everywhere you look. Even Tony and Geezer wow. and Ronnie are like, wow, look at this. Beatles. Oh my God. <clears throat> and that's the where we wrote and recorded the Mob Rules. Okay. The movie Heavy Metal. And that was one where the drums were down here. There's a big wooden staircase going up in the entry. And I play down there with a TV monitor and the guys are in another room and we had cameras. So Wow. It's a different version than it's on the Mob Rules album. Okay. That was that was in LA. So Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a book one day, but You gotta do it soon. <laughs> I'm forgetting everything. Well, with that, thank you so much for your time. It was such a pleasure to talk thank to you. Thank you, again. Paul. All right. You take care. And uh, thanks for the interview, dude. Thank you, take Bye, care. everybody. Don't forget to watch me Tuesday, 4 p.m. Facebook. Okay. Bye. I'm press the leave. Right. Okay. 
The Drumming News Network is a daily news site focusing on the interests of drummers with new product release information, artist updates, and much more. In essence, all things drums, keeping even the busiest of people up to date. Listen to the podcast through various podcast hosting sites and catchers, or watch it on our YouTube channel. Don't be left behind. Subscribe today. This has been a production of the Drumming News Network. All rights reserved. All media is owned by the respective parties. This episode cannot be distributed or copied in any form. Please visit DrummingNewsNetwork.com daily to keep up on all the latest drumming news. Copyright 2023. Okay. All right. Everybody can get to look at my drums while I'm doing that. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, these are beautiful new kit. Um, I can't really see very good. This is in my house, my studio. And uh, so I do a, a live stream every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Mm-hmm. on Facebook, Vinny Apsey Official, 4 p.m. Pacific time. And I do it from here and I play to some music and tell stories and teach a little bit, you know. So it's, it's great. It's fun. Yeah, it kept me in shape during the pandemic and all that.